trying to finish up the series on uh, the Holy Spirit. We've been calling ghost hunters. Uh, if you remember, the old term is the Holy Ghost. John Wesley was rather fond of it. Um, some people don't like the term. I think it's kind of cool. And so uh, we're trying to hunt after the Holy Ghost uh, in the scriptures, trying to understand, understand him. And <clears throat> largely because we're talking about this idea of chasing the presence of God. Dan mentioned it during worship. And and we're trying to do that collectively as a church, and wow, I kind of felt that this morning. That's good, and I hope that you're, you're trying to chase after his presence in your own personal life as well. And, and, and here's, here's the thing. I, I was uh, thinking about this last night and um, really, really wrestled with a number of things, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But <clears throat> here's, here's what we know. Based on some of the things that we've been studying, Here's what we, we understand. First of all, Jesus promised that when he left, he would send a helper, an advocate, very specific word, an advocate that would do a couple of things. First, it would plead our case in front of the accuser, the one who accuses us, the enemy of our soul. That it that advocate would also then testify that we are children of God. We are no longer orphans. He wasn't going to leave us that way. He was going to leave us not vulnerable, but with an advocate. And finally, that same advocate would lead us into all truth. Okay? That was the promise. Now, here's the interesting thing. We know that that actually occurred because we read about it in Acts chapter 2. Remember, group of disciples, sound like a rushing wind, I don't know, that's not what I heard last night. I heard rushing wind, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> and then, uh, what was it? Oh, yeah, yeah, the little uh, tongues of, of fire that kind of came on them. And then you have this group of rednecks who are speaking in a foreign language that they never studied because in the city there were godly Jews from all over the Mediterranean world and they were listening to the wonders of God spoken in their native tongue. And the result is fascinating. They're looking around at each other and they're saying, what does this mean? It's this amazing passage. So, so we know these things. Now, for those of us who grew up in the church, you may be familiar with a couple of other things with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> um, one is that you're probably familiar with the fruit of the Spirit, Right? Love, joy, peace. Yeah, I don't think anybody claims patience. Pretty sure that's the case. But you're familiar with those. This is Galatians chapter 5, right? Yeah, you know, we've, we've heard this before. And then depending on the tradition that you grew up in, you might even be familiar with the gifts of the Spirit. Certain ones are better than others, right? And so we, we're kind of... But above and beyond that, the Holy Spirit is one of those uh, components that seems to be seems to be lost a little bit. I think that's the word that I'm looking for. It's, it's like, it's like we, we talk to God and we talk to Jesus, but the Holy Spirit, I don't know, maybe there's just too many syllables. You know, we don't pray to the Holy Spirit because Holy Spirit takes more time and energy than to say God. I don't know. But it, it seems to me like we've lost a little bit of that. We've lost something. <clears throat> and I think that the, the other thing that's in play is that there's kind of two camps 
um, two possibilities that seem to dominate sort of American Christianity. I want to talk about them. Now, I'm going to tell you right up front, it's much more nuanced than what I'm going to explain here. I understand that. I am simplifying and using extremes in order to prove a point. That's all I'm trying to do. So kind of the, the first extreme on this camp um, comes out of the Reformed tradition. Uh, and these are, would be like Lutherans and Presbyterians, and a, there's actually a large number of Baptists who subscribe to a Reformed sort of Calvinistic theology. And, and really what happens within that framework is that the Holy Spirit primarily shows up when you open up the Bible. So the Bible becomes the primary medium that the Holy Spirit talks to you. You know, we, we open it up, and as we begin to read, the Holy Spirit illuminates the Word for us. And so we find that that's where the Holy Spirit resides. And the other place the Holy Spirit will, will show up is when He convicts people of sin, when they need to repent. And very often that comes when you're reading the Scripture. That's that particular camp. It's a very academic approach to the Holy Spirit. Now, <clears throat> I am not throwing any denomination or tradition under the bus. They're going to heaven too. Um, but I had in seminary, I had a book. It was entitled The Holy Spirit. It was written by somebody from this tradition, and it was quite possibly the most boring book I have ever read, period. And some of you have seen my bookshelf. I've read a lot of books. And so this one was just by far, largely because it, 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 it just limited the Holy Spirit to kind of this academic sense of the word. Now again, I'm, I'm exaggerating in order to make a point, okay? But, but we have this academic approach. The problem that I have with that is that I, I understand where it comes from, I understand why they believe that, and yet it just doesn't seem to, to fit with what I read in the rest of the Bible, and so it leaves me unsatisfied. Uh, you might be okay with it. I, I'm just not. The other side of this spectrum is really a Pentecostal um, perspective. Now, that's a, pers a perspective that we understand here in Tulsa because of the influence of ORU and Rhema Bible College, and, and they're all from this Pentecostal tradition. And again, in, in order to kind of make a point here, is that when the Holy Spirit shows up in that type of environment, um, there's a lot of jumping around. Or sometimes there's falling down in trances, and there's lots of different languages that are spoken that people may or may not understand. And, and there's a certain amount of, I'm going to call it this, and I, I don't mean this disrespectfully, there's a certain amount of chaos to it. At least the services that I've experienced. Now, you may have a completely different experience, and that's okay. Um, what I've noticed is, is that it's highly emotional. There's just this emotion to it that part of the reason why we go to worship is to work up the emotion of following God. And now, that's not bad. In fact, I think if you're going to follow God, you might as well be happy about it, right? So I'm, I'm okay with that. But to me, it seems a bit extreme, and, and there's this... There's this really problematic verse in, that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians about orderly worship. And somehow what I, what I have often encountered doesn't necessarily fit those two things. And so I'm looking at the spectrum and the two dominant forms seem to leave me a little unsatisfied. 
And so I don't think that either one is necessarily wrong. I think it's a matter of emphasis. And Jesus, to me, encompasses both of those and is more than that. Does that make sense? So I don't want to say either or. It's both and plus something else. And it's all of those things. And um, I uh, decided that next week we're going we're gonna to start a series in the, the book of Acts. And... Um, we're going to actually follow the book of Acts throughout uh, the summer. And the, the thing that I see over, uh, technically the, the book is called the Acts of the, of the Apostles. But really, if you read it, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and the disciples are literally hanging on by, by their fingers because it's a big old roller coaster. I mean, they're moving all over the place, and, and, and it's exciting, it's an exciting thing to read what God does and, and what these, these disciples um, get to experience. And, and my question that just keeps coming up, bubbling up over and over, where is that excitement in the American church? Where is it? I wonder that. It's, it's, it's troublesome to me. That question is, because one of the things we know is that the church is in decline in, in, in America. It's actually in all Western countries, from Europe all the way to Australia, uh, North America um, in between. And, and one of the reasons that's cited, um, and I think it's the reason that resonates most with me, is that people read things like the book of Acts, and then they look at their church, and there's like this, this sort of, I don't know, Massive gap. Because what I'm reading and what I'm seeing seem to be two totally different things. So, so here's, here's the deal. Either the Bible is untrue or there is something wrong in the church. And think about that for a moment. If I'm seeing this gap, what's that actually mean? What are the implications of that? Painful to think about. And the problem that, that I have just personally is I still believe that Jesus wants heaven on earth and he's not as interested in getting us all into heaven. And that the church, the local church, is supposed to be an outpost of that kingdom. That that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be bringing that heaven down to earth. In the um, First Corinthians, chapter four, even before we get to all the Holy Spirit stuff, um, Paul writes this: "The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power." And the word for power is where we get the word dynamite from, dynamis. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And when we talk about power here, it's not about dominating. It's not forcing a person to believe something. That, that's not what it is at all. But rather, it's the power to actually live in such a way to bring about the kingdom of God. Because I can't do that on my own. If, if I could, I would have already. But I can't. Because I'm fundamentally a broken, selfish person. I like me. I like my stuff. I like my agenda. But the kingdom of God and that economy is something else entirely. 
It's about loving your neighbor as yourself. Which, by the way, is somehow easier to do when there's great tragedy in the city, right? But what about every single day? What about when I get up in the morning and I got a wife and kids who are asking me for this, that, and another thing, and we're getting pulled in multiple directions, and you all experience this too. And somehow the thought of the kingdom of God goes right out the window because we're just trying to survive, right? It happens. And I understand that. So where's our power, church? Where is, where is our, our power? I want to read you something. This New Testament writer, Paul, um, who we're going to read about in Acts in a few weeks, um, writes a letter to a very influential church in Ephesus. Um, this, this really interesting city on the, on the Turkish coast. <clears throat> Here's what he writes. This is a chapter 1. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. <laughs> this is interesting. Um, in verse 15, they had faith in Jesus. And yet, Paul prayed that they would also have the Spirit. These are two different things. They had faith in Jesus. They even loved God's people, but he prayed that they would have the Spirit. So in theology, uh, at least in, in Wesleyan theology, there's this idea that when we come to faith, the Holy Spirit is active. For those of you who are theologians, it's called justifying grace. But there comes a point afterwards where we begin to recognize that there's more to the life than just being saved, per se. Rather, we want to become like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is active in that too. It's often called a second work, work of grace. Or in some traditions, it's baptism in the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit. Choose your preposition. And so you've got these two things that are, that are going on here. And um, and I, 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 rather, I rather like this. Um, the Holy Spirit enables us to say yes to Jesus, but empowers us to live like Jesus, and those are two different things. So you can say yes to Jesus, and you can have faith, and you can be saved per se, but not necessarily have the power of the Spirit enabling you to live like Jesus. And, and can I, I'm just going to be gut-level honest here. I think this is where the power of the church fails. I think we fail to understand all of this. There's a great little illustration. Um, I, I don't know where I read this. So think of it like water. Very often the Holy Spirit is, is identified with water. Uh, it's, a, it's a metaphor. 
And when you begin to follow Jesus, you drink the water, and the water is in you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Holy Spirit comes and indwells in you. But then, as you begin a life of faith, you start wading into the ocean, and you realize that you are also in the water. The water is in you, but you are also in the water. Does this make sense? It's this beautiful picture that you're drinking water, and yet you're in the water. That's the Holy Spirit. And in some of our Wesleyan traditions, when you realize that you're ankle deep in the water, or knee deep, or waist deep, or whatever it happens to be, it's called an awakening. You, you recognize that God is at work in his Holy Spirit in your life. And that he wants something more for you. It's a fascinating thought that there is something. For those of you who grew up in a Wesleyan tradition, this is called sanctification. That's the $5 word for it. But this is where God begins to do his work, enabling us to live like Jesus. And somewhere along the line, I've been doing this for almost 40 years, somewhere along the line, I missed that. That there's this distinction between the two. I mean, I get the whole sanctification thing, but what I didn't understand is that the Holy Spirit is the one who is moving and shaking behind the scenes, trying to get me to move in the direction towards Jesus. And so, I, I mean, for me, the, the thing that I, that I really want is I want Thrive to know hope and riches and power. And, and it's not hope that's pie in the sky. It's not riches as in you know, sort of earthly wealth and, and it's not power in order to dominate or to, to force or to coerce. That's, that's not it. But what I really hope for us as a church is that, that we would be all that what God has in mind. And the prayer that, that Paul prayed for the Ephesian church that we would say that that's the prayer that we hope that he's praying for us as well. That our eyes would be enlightened so that we could see all of that. Because I think that's where the power kind of comes from. So what if? What, what, what if we presumed that the Holy Spirit is actually speaking to us? I'm, I mean, really speaking. Not like some metaphor or some um, simile or something, but actually speaking. What if we presume that? And what if we slowed down enough to listen? I sometimes have to make decisions like this. How about you? And when I slow down and I actually listen, I'm amazed at the things that I actually hear. So what would happen if we actually learned what God's voice sounded like? Because when we go to the book of Acts, you'll realize that that's normal for believers to actually hear God speak to them. Through his word, yes, but also through the words of others and sometimes just impressions in your own heart. And what would happen if we took our daily lives and we brought them to the, to the king and we processed that in light of the kingdom. That boss that you hate, 
that neighbor that's driving you bananas. Your spouse who just won't listen. Or your kids that aren't going to mind you. Whatever it is. What if you, you went to the father and you just said, that hurt. God, what do I do with that? This relationship I have is messed up. What do I do with that? What if we took our hurts and our hang-ups and our habits and even our hallelujahs to the creator and sustainer of the universe and said, what do I do with this? A friend of mine writes it this way. He says, it's like our, our lives are a story and we have an interpretation of the story, but all along God is writing something different in the margins. What would it be like if we read what was in the margins? Um, I want the spirit of wisdom and revelation that Paul talks about. I want that. I, I want that. Like I said, I've been doing this almost 40 years, and and I still want that. I want that more now than I, I think I ever have before, and I'm still learning what that means. Sometimes um, as I'm journaling, I'll, I'll get kind of an impression, and there's this part of me that just says, okay, God, was that you, or was that me? Mm-hmm. Point is, you write it down, and then God's either going to affirm it or he's going to deny it, and it's okay. The, the point is, is that you keep moving with it. So I'll tell you a story. This, this happened just recently. I, I can't give you all the details. I hope someday that I can. Um, but I, I was journaling and I had a very distinct impression that I was supposed to give a message to um, somebody that I knew, a friend. <clears throat> I had no idea what it meant. It was kind of one of these messages, hey, you need to get ready for something. And so um, that so happened, I sat down with that person and I said, hey, by the way, I, I was journaling about this and, and this is what I heard and I, I said it to this person and they kind of looked at me funny. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what it means either. So I'm just gonna leave that with you. You take it to the Father and ask him what it means. And you know, about two weeks later, three weeks later, through a series of what seemed like coincidental events, <laughs> seemed like coincidental events. They were able to, as a family, avoid something that would have been absolutely catastrophic. What kind of God intercepts evil? and prepares his people in advance for it. That's the God I want to know and serve. You know, not that it's gonna happen all the time, not that, you know, bad things don't happen. I'm not saying that, but if God is willing to do that for someone else, that's where I wanna be. And if we're all kinda doing that for each other, imagine where that would go. That kind of sounds like the kingdom of God to me. With that same friend kind of processed later, I just said, wow, what does get ready mean to you now? Oh boy, all kinds of things.
God of the redemptive moment before it happened. Oh, that's beyond cool. That's the place that I, I desperately want to be. I want us to be there. We talk about chasing after the presence of God. That's what happens in the presence of God. He speaks to us. We follow what he speaks to us and things begin to happen. But there's an order to it. They don't just happen. They happen because we are in the presence of God. We're interacting with the Holy Spirit who, by the way, indwells in you. So if you're not hearing him, guess who's out of signal? Not him, but somehow you need to tune in.